All right, who's a big fan of waiting here? You know, I, last night I contemplated maybe starting out by asking you guys to wait a, a minute, and I was going to walk out the door and spend two or three minutes just in the hallway. And I, I shared this idea with Laura, and she was kind of chuckling about it, and then we realized that you all would just start talking with each other and wouldn't even know I was gone. So I decided I wouldn't, wouldn't go that way. It wouldn't be real effective. But I'll, I'll give you a couple stories of waiting that I have trouble with. A couple weeks ago, it was about 12.15, and, and I was driving home with my kids, and we were hungry, and there was no way I was going to have lunch prepared. And, and my kids are like, like alligators who haven't been fed for three days when it comes to mealtime, so you don't really want to walk in the house without food kind of ready to go. So we pulled into a fast food joint. And would you believe there were 20 cars lined up through the drive-thru? It's at 12.20, and yeah, I, I was just appalled. It took, no joke, 10 minutes to get food. Can you imagine? Like, I was, I was getting furious in my seat. I kept a smile on my face. But 10 minutes to get food, it drove me crazy. And they call that fast food. Well, then I got home later in the day, and the kids went upstairs to read. And I sat down to check my email. And my computer was being stubborn. And it wouldn't get fired up on the Internet. It would not open. And I was, I was ready to slam the thing into the ground. It took five minutes for me to check email. Five whole minutes to check email. It was the biggest waste of time. Recently, I got a Kindle, and when I got the Kindle, there were, um, there were choices in, in some other e-readers. Now they have them in Kindle. You can get one that has an um, ability to connect to the Internet anytime, anywhere. The other one will only connect onto wireless systems you have access to. Well, obviously, I wasn't going to get that one because could you imagine if you were in line waiting for 10 minutes to get fast food and you needed a book during those 10 minutes and you didn't have access to a wireless network in front of the Chick-fil-A, what would you do? Could you imagine having to wait till you got home to get a book? Obviously, I'm being a little bit sarcastic, just, just a little bit here, but we don't wait well. We have one of my... my Big things I love, and, and maybe you guys have them, are these phones. I don't have one. They go on your ear when you're out in public and you don't have to hold them. You, know, you see people walking around talking to themselves until they turn the other way. And these people can get online at the grocery store, talk on the phone, text somebody on a different phone, look, look through a magazine, and go through all these things while paying for their groceries and somehow communicating with a cashier, albeit so respectfully while they're on the phone texting and doing other stuff. Society has conditioned us to not wait well. We have on-demand video. We can't even make it to the Blockbuster anymore. We have uh, text messaging because we can't take the time to dial numbers and talk to someone. We don't wait well. Remember when the Internet first came on and we had those dial-up things? And you used to have to, yeah, I remember, you know, at home, everybody off the phone, I'm getting on the computer. You know, and everyone's off the phone, you're like a fax machine. And, and you finally get on something, and, and then someone will pick up the phone, and oh! all goes, remember those days? Could you imagine? Here's the problem. We don't wait well, but the Bible tells us that waiting is essential to maturing in our faith. There's a verse I, I encourage you all to memorize. I imagine it might show up sometime in September or October. It's Isaiah 64.4. And it says, From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who fill in the blank. Wait for him. Waiting is an essential attribute of a mature Christian. And it's also a trait that most Americans and American Christians don't have. And that's a problem. Today we're going to talk about waiting. I entitled this sermon, Making Muffins. Uh, hopefully you'll understand why when I'm done. Otherwise you can just attribute it to my exhausted deliria. 
But we're going to look at a story, a real event in the life of Joseph, when he had to do some serious waiting and see how it applies to our lives. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 21. But before we do, let me share a story with you from a book I read this week on my Kindle, as a matter of fact. And it was a book called Wild Men, Wild Alaska. It's written by a guy named Rocky, I can't even say his name without looking, McKelvin. Rocky is a, a, a tour guide. Rocky grew up um, in the Deep South with missionary parents, and his dad got the call to go be a missionary in Alaska. His mom always speculated it was a call of the wild, not necessarily the call of God. So from a young age, he grew up in Alaska, uh, way out in Alaska. And he did a lot of fishing and hunting and camping and spending time out in nature. Rocky went into a full-time ministry working for a church. He went to seminary. and While he was at a church, he was invited by one of their members to go to a uh, camping and hunting exposition out in California. And he met this guy who had set up a um, camping and, and hiking and hunting business in this really unknown river way out in Alaska. He was charging 300 bucks a day for people to go up and go uh, camping, hiking, hunting with him. And Rocky went by and was looking at the guy, was telling him about it, and he said, the guy said to Rocky, this, I can take you to this place. You've never seen anything so beautiful. You've never fished waters like this or hunted or camped in an area like this. And Rocky said, actually, I grew up on that very river. And when he left, he thought, I could do this. I could even give God 30 bucks a day if I do this at 300 bucks a day. So he, he just went on a whim and uh, started a, a camping business. Great book. Great book if you ever want to read it called Wild Man, Wild Alaska. But in the book is a story. One day, Rocky took a group out, the primary guy in the group who was a cardiologist who was up for a hunting expedition. They went out to hunt moose. And they went way, way, way out to find this prize moose, Roscoe, who hadn't been caught for three years. He had a 70-inch rack on his head. I've learned all about hunting different animals this week. So my kids and I are moving on from fishing. We're going to get moose, giant moose, at Hibernia Park. So, So they went out. And they were looking for this moose, and they didn't find Roscoe, but they found a huge moose, a giant moose, a 1,500-pound moose that they shot. And they went and they, um, they dressed the moose, they, they caped him, they, they packed him out to go. 1,500 pounds of moose is going to be leaving. So they packed him out, and they had, to, they had to hike him to the landing strip. They had to fly out on pontoon boats to these areas. Well, Rocky realized this was going to be too much for, for the few people they had to, to hike out. So he decided to go back with the pilot, or call the pilot, have the pilot send in some more um, guides to help get the moose out of there. And he went back to camp to get prepared for them. Well, he told the guys he would be back in the morning to fly him out. And they were sitting by 1,500 pounds of meat in open wilderness with grizzly bears and wolves and things like that. So it's not really the most comfortable place to be. So he spent their first night. The morning came, and guess who didn't show up? Rocky didn't show up. And night came, and no Rocky. And the next morning, and night, no Rocky. And the next day, no Rocky. For three days, Rocky didn't show up. Fourth day, fifth day, was was Rocky ever going to show up? Well, I'll finish the story for you at the end of the sermon. But realize this. These guys who were out hunting had to do what? They had to wait. And they didn't wait too well, you'll see as as the story gets concluded. But I can assure you there was a reason they had to wait. The difference was between them and me now, they didn't know the reason. But somebody did. Let's get into the story in Joseph and you'll see how these tie together and I'll conclude it at the end. But in Genesis chapter 39, we're looking at Joseph. Remember Joseph met uh, Potiphar's wife, that, that great gal last week? 
and he ended up imprisoned. And in chapter 39, verse 21, we read, I'm sorry, in verse 20, we see Joseph go to prison. In verse 21, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph, and showed him steadfast love, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt. Hold on a minute there. The cupbearer and the baker, we don't have a lot of cupbearers and bakers today. You know what these guys were? They were like cabinet members, if you want to make it into the American political system. These were guys who were close to Pharaoh. These weren't just like some random chef and guy who poured drinks for him. The cupbearer was one of the closest confidants of Pharaoh because anything that Pharaoh was going to consume, cupbearer made sure it wouldn't kill Pharaoh. The baker, similar type of thing. He made all Pharaoh's food. This was not just some random, you know, Wolfgang Puck showed up and cooked for Pharaoh. These guys were, they were close confidants and cabinet members of Pharaoh. Well, they did something to offend him, and Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, and the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody, and one night they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined to the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. Interesting little note there. Joseph noticed they were troubled. We'll dig into that a little bit more as we go ahead. But notice what Joseph should be doing and what Joseph is doing as you go through this. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told him his dream. In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. Remember, Joseph wouldn't, shouldn't even been in prison. So he's telling the cupbearer, but don't forget about me. You can maybe help me out. He says, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And then we look at these first four words. After two whole years, Joseph sat in prison for a long time. Two whole years. 
Joseph didn't know it was going to be two whole years. Joseph probably assumed it was going to be forever, which is why he might have mentioned to the cupbearer here, please don't forget about me. But what did the cupbearer do? He forgot all about him. What's waiting? Let's talk about waiting. I'll throw that out to you. What is waiting? The, the W-A-I-T, not the W-A-D-E version. Waiting. You do learn patience and waiting. <coughs> like the time that you spend until you get to something that wouldn't even have to be something you want. Something that you eventually have, but it's the time until you realize it. It could be agony if you're waiting to find out if someone's need is going to be healed. Mm-hmm. It can be irritation yeah. if it's like waiting in the food line. Yeah, I, I came up with waiting is a time when we don't know specifically a next step God has for us or if we do when the next step will happen. It could be a result, it could be an action, it could be an event. Waiting is a difficult thing though because waiting is not sitting on our hands doing nothing but waiting is also not trying to force an issue to make any solution possible. It's a combination of patience in the midst of activity. Example, say you got a, a young guy fresh out of college, decide he wants to get married. Well, there are two hideous alternatives. One of them is the, uh, I'm going to stay home and pray, and God will send my, my wife-to-be to my house. And this guy sits down, and, and he just every day prays continually, Lord, I know you want me to be married. I pray that you would send my wife to my door. And he just sits waiting for this. And we meet this guy 47 years later, and he's got a beard down to his knees, and he stinks something horrible, and he's still praying, and the door only got knocking are the mailman and the UPS man, and they don't stay very long. The other alternative, take a guy fresh out of college that wants to get married, and, and, and he goes out, and he's going to find anybody to marry him. And he doesn't care what this says about who he should marry, he's looking for any available person that he can convince to marry him. And he will do whatever it takes to get the person to accept his, uh, his proposal. And he ends up marrying lots of different people. Lots of different times. He doesn't go by the way God says. The reality is, how should this, this young man approach marriage? Assuming God wants him to be married, which is a big assumption. Somewhere in the middle. Prayerfully and actively. But to neither extreme. In our lives, we need to be careful. First, because we don't like to wait. We tend to default to the force a solution through. Well, I, God, I need to know what you want me to do. And I'm going to assume if you don't want me to do this that you'll stop me. Like we talked about Monday. I'm going to rob this bank. If you don't want me to rob the bank, make the door be locked. I guess you want me to rob the bank. Well, no, because this is pretty clear that you shouldn't be robbing a bank. Rarely do we default to the non-active prayer thing, but some people do. It's somewhere in the middle. I thought a good idea might be to look at some people who've waited in the Bible. You'll notice there are positive and negative examples of waiting. You'll also notice anyone who is very mature in their faith was a good waiter. So let's look at a couple examples. First one I, I came to mind was this guy named Abram. You ever heard of him? Changed his name to Abraham a little later on. Actually, he didn't change it. God did. Way back in Genesis 12, verse 2, God told Abram, I'll make you a great nation. Abram did not have a big family at the time. Matter of fact, he didn't have much of a family at all. There were no kids running around. But God said, I'll make you a great nation. Well, if we move ahead in the story a little bit to chapter 16, Sarah, who was his wife, said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, 
it may be that I should obtain children by her, Hagar. Now, stop there for a minute. Do you know that was a normal societal custom? That was completely an acceptable practice to which people did. If, if a wife couldn't bear children, the servant would have children with the husband, and they would be considered the wife's kids. So it's not like he was doing something crazy. In, in, in our culture, that doesn't translate well, but it was a societally acceptable practice. But don't forget this. God doesn't function on societally acceptable practices. We need to know the difference between what's societally acceptable and what's biblically acceptable and not confuse the two. But Abram and Sarai did not wait well. Um, Hagar did, in fact, have a child who was Abram's child. And interesting little side note, that child has offspring still today who are enemies of Israel. You read the news today, you can read about Hagar's offspring. So these little mistakes thousands of years ago still have implications today. Don't forget that little truth our little slips based off societally acceptable practices can have very long-term consequences. But God in his grace, mercy, and love was, was faithful. And if we go back here, when Abram got the call, he was, he was a young guy, about 75 years old, a young little lad. Well, when you get up to Genesis 17, uh, Isaac's birth was promised to him by God. And you know how Abraham responded? He fell on his face laughing. You know why? He was 100 years old, it tells us in verse 17. Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Another little side note. Don't limit God by what you think he can do. This all comes into play with how well we wait. So 25 years, this guy is waiting and messing up and continuing to wait. And guess what happens? Chapter 21. Verse 2, it says, And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him of. God's always faithful to come through. Abraham waited 25 years. Why did he wait 25 years? Well, hang on for that part. Another guy you may recognize from the Bible, kind of, kind of one of those big ticket guys, a well-known one, uh, Mo. You know Mo? Moses, some people, me, me, and, me and Moses are tight, I'm, I'm Jewish, right? Well, Moses, surprisingly, did some waiting. Moses was, was gotten out of the, the basket in the reeds, remember? He grew up in Pharaoh's house. And, and there was this event where uh, Moses saw an Egyptian beating a Jewish slave, and he killed the Egyptian who was beating this, the Jewish slave. And then shortly thereafter, there were two Jews who were fighting. And Moses broke up the fight and said, what are you, what are, and they said to him, what are you doing? Do you mean to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? And Moses got scared because he thought, oh my gosh, Pharaoh's going to find out about this. And Pharaoh did find out, so Moses fleed to the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. And some ladies came up to the well with some animals. And Moses helped them out from some, uh, some bad guys. And they brought him back to their house because their father told them to. And the girl's fathers became his father-in-law, who we know as Jethro. And Moses got married to one of them, those girls named... Anyone know Moses' wife's name off the top of their head? Zipporah. And then Moses lived in Midian for a while. How long did he live in Midian? Uh, chapter 2, verse 23 says, during those, right, during those many days. We're dealing with a time of 40 years. This isn't the wilderness wandering. This is getting ready for the wilderness wandering. And one day Moses is out after this extensive period of time and he saw a piece of foliage aflame. And God spoke to him. But what do you think went through Moses' mind while he waited? 
We don't know, but we know he waited. We also know Moses didn't just sit there doing nothing, you know, praying by the camels. Lord, please get me out of here. I'm getting old. No, Moses did stuff. He got married. He had kids. He tended flocks. But he waited for 40 years. You want to get a little more contemporary, biblically speaking? You go up to a book like Galatians. And you go to Galatians 1.17. And here's something extraordinarily easy to miss, but incredibly critical. Paul came to faith on the road to Damascus. Remember that story when Jesus appeared to him? What did Paul do after he came to faith? Three years in Arabia. And we know that from Galatians 1.17. It says, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And you put that in play with the context of Acts. And Paul came to faith on the road to Damascus. Now, Paul should have been right into the ministry. Why wait three years? You're dealing with Paul, right? I mean, come on, God. It's Paul, the apostle. This is not some you know, kid going to seven. This is Paul. But Paul waited three years. And what did Paul do for those three years? Oh, you can read the rest of this part and find out. But it was a preparatory time. So if Abraham and Moses and Paul, and you don't even have to flip here. Remember you all thought Charlie would be named David because we looked at the life of David. David was anointed king in chapter 16. He didn't become king in chapter 16. What did he do while he waited? We spent a long time talking about that, didn't we? Well, Abraham, Moses, Paul, David, we can keep going. All of the men and women throughout the Bible, all of the men and women and children throughout life who have been deeply in love with Jesus and used powerfully by God have had the ability to wait well. Not wait perfectly. Abraham was used mightily. No, he screwed up pretty bad in his waiting. David was a man after God's own heart. Did he ever mess up? I think a few times. Don't think that Moses was a perfect example. Oh, God, I can't go to Pharaoh. I can't hardly speak well. Send somebody else. Come on. Moses complained real nicely. But they learned to wait through the process. Joseph showed up in prison. Let me point out an example. Actually, let's get to that here on the back end of it. I talk about the muffins. Making muffins is what this is entitled, right? In my house, the best thing I can make for breakfast, perhaps the only thing I can make besides cereal and instant oatmeal, are muffins. And I know that muffins cook for about 24 to 27 minutes in my stove, and I've been taught if you stick a toothpick in them, you can tell when they're done. Now, what would happen if I pulled muffins out after 12 minutes? Would you want to eat them? They'd be pretty gnarly, wouldn't they? What would happen if I pulled muffins out after 47 minutes? Would you want to eat them? JJ can tell you I've done that. You don't want to eat those. But if you don't cook the muffins for just the right amount of time, they're just gooey or burnt, but they're not really good muffins. I'm a chef extraordinaire. I know this type of thing. How long do you cook a person to grow deep in their faith? How long does it take for us to sit in the refining fires to be perfectly matured in our faith? Guess what? We don't know. And if muffins could speak in my oven, they would yell, Get us out! Get us out! Get us out! We want to be gooey and slimy and just sit in the fridge. (laughs) That's what we often yell to God. We are kind of like muffins. God is making muffins, not muffins. God's making mature men and women and children out of us because we've turned our lives over to him. There's a verse in Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9, which I referenced the last couple of weeks. And it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, we don't like to wait because we don't think God knows how to cook. We want, when you come downstairs in my house and muffins are cooking, somehow kids smell them, and you just turn on the oven, they come in, can we eat them, can we eat them, can we eat them? No. Well, they've learned, you know. 
ask mommy, don't ask me first of all. But can you eat them when they're ready? We'll eat the muffins. What we do with God is, can we get out? Can we get out? Can we get out? Can we stop waiting? Can we stop waiting? And sometimes God says no. And we say, why? Don't you love me? Why will you make me wait? Did you forget about me? Joseph's in prison for two years. He doesn't know it's two years. It's going to be a long time. God, why am I in prison? Joseph wasn't saying this. I'm saying he could have said this. Why am I in prison? Why did I end up here? I've been faithful to you. Do you love me? Did you forget about me? No, I'm making muffins, God says. Just wait. I'll pull the tray at the perfect time. Sometimes, though, unfortunately, God gave us free will. We can get out of the oven early if we want. We don't have to wait. Waiting is a choice. And I know a guy who didn't wait well at all, and his name was Saul. You remember him? Give you a story in Saul's life. In 1 Samuel 13, Saul was uh, waging war with the Philistines, and he was waiting for Samuel to show up. They were going to go into battle. They needed to be ready for battle. Remember Samuel, uh, the prophet, the guy who anointed David? Well, Saul is, is supposed to be waiting for Samuel to, to uh, perform a sacrifice to the Lord. It says in verse 8 of chapter 13, He, being Saul, waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. A little problem there, the Bible's real clear. Saul can't offer that. Samuel can, Saul can't. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Uh Uh-oh. How often does that happen? If you would have just waited a little bit longer. Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, oh, when I saw the people were scattering from me, and that you didn't come within the days appointed to me, and that the Philistines had mustered in Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Excuses, rationalization, right? And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. How are we supposed to wait? Samuel tells us, Saul tells us the wrong way. I give you the three points of it. You can remember if you like. Freak out. Feel God will act too late and make your own solutions. Now we're good at that, right? When things get a little scary and we have to wait too long, we start to freak out. We go, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? It's going to go bad. Perspectives. Why are we calling this perspectives? Because we're all pessimists at one point or another when we have to wait if we're not doing it well. We feel God's going to come up too late. How would you feel if, if you were watching your finances dwindle? Right? God says he'll provide for you perfectly. He'll give you all you need. And you're watching your finances dwindle down perfectly. And you got one day left uh, of food funds. I mean, it's gotten bad. You sold everything off. You can afford food for one more day. And you finally freak out and you rob the bank. Because you need the money. And while you're robbing the bank, all of a sudden, everyone looks up. And Jesus shows up. Now, God had a time perfectly. You didn't need two days of money. You just needed one. Jesus was coming back. But you bail at the last minute. How often in our lives does it get down to close and as opposed to considering a blessing because we're going to get to see God act, we decide to bail so that we don't have to depend on Him. That's called making your own solution. Saul says, I was going to go bad. I forced myself to do it. No, it wasn't going to go bad. It was going to go perfectly because God is perfectly in control. Now, this is all theoretical at this point, right? I can talk a good game, but do I walk a good game? Do I act this way? When God makes me wait, do I just sit there like, oh God, 
Thank you for the opportunity to trust you and, and be completely unable to do anything but trust you and just anxiously see what you'll do. Well, I don't do it perfectly. I've gotten better at it because God's beaten me over the head because I'm so stubborn over the years. But God always comes through perfectly. Have you ever seen an example? You know, we t- uh, I forgot before church what God's done in your life. Well, let me ask at this point. Can anyone name one time when God has failed to come through perfectly in their lives? When God's left you high and dry? Anybody know anybody that this has happened to? Can you pull a story out of the Bible where this is? You, can, you go through all of human history. Has God ever left somebody high and dry? So why is it going to be us for the first time? Why do we freak out? Why do we feel God will act too late? And why do we make our own solutions? Doesn't that sound kind of silly? Could you imagine if Joseph did it that way? Uh, you know what Joseph was doing in prison. The Bible's real clear about this, right? Joseph got into prison and he joined a gang. There was a gang of Jews. And he got tattoo artwork that all the Jews had. And he worked out like, I mean, Joseph was a big man. When he left jail, he was doing like 1,500 push-ups in the morning, 1,500 night sit-ups all day. He was just, he was a, he was a thug in prison, right? And he interpreted dreams on the side for a little cash to buy a illegal paraphernalia. No, Joseph didn't do that. Joseph did interpret dreams. But what Joseph was doing while he was in prison was being completely obedient to God. And that started with the right way to wait. Don't become disillusioned. If anyone wanted to be disillusioned or should have been, it was Joseph. Why? Here's a little list I came up with. Joseph's mom died when he was young. Joseph's brothers hated him. Joseph's dad favored him. Joseph was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused of attempted rape, and he was in prison. Would you be bitter? I mean, is it about time that, that, that you got bitter at this point? So Joseph's in prison, but he's not bitter because he hasn't become disillusioned. You see, often we become disillusioned with people. People tend to let us down. People are jerks. People lie to us, they cheat us, they steal from us, they mislead us. We think they're friends, but they turn out not to be friends. We've all known people like this, right? So we get cynical with everybody else. We just say, oh, well, you know, Pastor John seems like a good guy, but we'll see. You know, I'm sure at some point we'll see what he's really like, and he'll just be like everybody else. That's a disillusioned mind. And people who are disillusioned with other people tend to be disillusioned with God. Yes, people are screwed up. People will let you down. But folks, people don't act independently outside of God's power and sovereignty. When someone lets you down or rips you off or robs you, understand that the primary thing going on there is for you to learn a lesson from God. And maybe that lesson is get to know people a little better before you get to, you know, open up to them too much. But, but you can't let yourself become disillusioned with God because people let you down. Usually people that have been disillusioned with other people are disillusioned with God. They have trouble trusting God. They don't feel that God really loves them. They don't feel that God will really provide for them. But see, Joseph knew the truth, and he knew who God was. He didn't become disillusioned, and we see that because he says to these prisoners, which I can't find right now, when they're coming out, they look downcast, right? And he says to them, someone wants to find that verse while I'm going through, I appreciate it. But he says to them, why do, you, why do you look downcast today? And they share the dreams with him. Think about that. If you're going through the dungeons of a prison and you're, you're Joseph, you know, should, shouldn't you be going something like this? Another day in prison. Mm-hmm. Love my God. Prison's awesome. But that's not how Joseph was going through. He had eyes up. He was looking at people. It's a silly question when you think about it. Why do you look downcast? Well, because I'm in prison. Do people skip through prison smiling? Verse 47 of 39. Oh, thank you. Yes, 
So he asked Ferris officers who were with him in custody, his master says, why are your faces downcast? That, that takes a keen eye, because they're not going to look too cheery. They're in prison, but he sees something different. See, Joseph was not disillusioned. Joseph was keen and aware to other people. Think about that. After ending up where he was, after what he went through, he was still aware of what was going on with other people. He was caring for other people. He was trying to love other people. Why? Because that's what God would call him to do. And that rolls into the second point. Remain faithful in your day-to-day tasks. When we wait, maybe you wait a day, maybe you wait a year, maybe you wait 40 years, like Moses. Do you know what you do while you wait? You remain completely faithful in your day-to-day tasks. The things you know you should or could be doing, do them. Day in and day out. Do not become disillusioned. Don't get irritated with God for making you wait, because I want you to think about the fact, if you eat a muffin after seven minutes, it tastes nasty. God knows what he's doing. Do not become disillusioned with God for waiting, because he's preparing you perfectly. In Genesis 39, verses 21 to 23, what do we see Joseph doing? The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Joseph was being faithful day in and day out. Don't be disillusioned. Remain faithful. And the last thing we do is we trust in the Lord. That he knows what he's doing. That he's baking. Joseph also noticed with the cupbearer. Joseph didn't just sit there. If God wants me out, God will get me out. He was praying, I guarantee. But he also said to the cupbearer, uh, don't forget about me when you get out. He was being practical in his day-to-day activities. Be practical when you wait. Just don't force you. She doesn't say to the guy, tell Pharaoh I know a secret that if he lets me out, I'll tell him this. He didn't make something up. He was truthful. So the three right ways, don't be disillusioned, remain faithful, trust in God. How do you wait well? You know the three steps you need to do, but how do you do it? This is not something you just determine one day. I'm going to be a great waiter, and I'm going to force the issue. We've talked about that. You can't force walking deeply and mature with God on your own. You will become disillusioned. The midweek thought this, was it this week? It's a long week, I think it was. With a people mover? Or was that last week? Where, where I talk about how many of us feel that, that walking uh, in obedience to Christ is draining and taxing and overbearing. And I compare it to kids who run down the people mover the wrong way at the airport having a blast. But we often live that way and we get off panting and out of breath and we can't understand why. If you want to force yourself to wait well, you will not wait well. You might pull it off for a couple days, but then you will just come off with a people mover, out of breath, disillusioned, and feel like this is so tough. Because you do have to be dependent on God. You do have to lean on God to wait well. You can't force it. And here's three steps to doing it. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. This is a memory verse here. Everybody hear that? But they who wait on the Lord. Do you want to fly with wings like eagles? Or do you want to lay on the ground like a beached minnow? That's a choice you can make. If you want to wait on the Lord, if you want to walk in obedience to the Lord, you will soar like an eagle. If you don't want to wait, and you want to be a Saul, if you want to force the issue and freak out, become disillusioned and create your own answer, you'll be a minnow on the beach. The first way to do this is to remember what God says in His Word, and you can focus on chapter 40, verse 31 of Isaiah. The second thing, remember, God is sovereign, providential, and good. Have I hammered that point home the last three weeks or no? I'll keep hammering until we get it into all of us, myself included. When we are waiting, God knows what He is doing. 
He could stop the waiting at any time, but he chooses not to. See, our life has moments and events that, where we wait, but it's also a life in an, an entirety of waiting. We are waiting to be reunited face to face with God in heaven. We are waiting to be restored to what we were made for. We are waiting, to be waiting, for Jesus to come back at any moment. Why hasn't Jesus come back? Did God forget that he was supposed to uh, send him back? Did, did something happen that God got preoccupied? Or does God know what he's doing? Jesus didn't come back yet because it's not the perfect time. Why did Abraham have to wait 25 years for Isaac? Because he wasn't ready for Isaac for 25 years. Why did Moses spend 40 years with Jethro's flock in Midian? Because God had to get him ready for the burning bush to send him back to Egypt. Why did David wait to become the king? Why did Saul wait? Why do you wait? Why did Joseph wait? Because God knows what he's doing. And God's going to prepare you perfectly for what he has in store. And he's going to prepare you because he's sovereign and he's providential and he's good. And the last thing is this, which sets us up for next week. Be ready. Because when the time of waiting is over, God doesn't usually send a two-week or a two-month heads up. Just want to let you know, it's uh, August 8th today. On December 5th, I have something in store. It's a secret I can't tell you because Deuteronomy 29.29 says, some things are for me to know and some things are for you. He doesn't do that, usually. I'm sure it could happen. Usually it works out like it did for Joseph. One day Joseph woke up for another day of prison life, and he was being faithful in his prison life. And, and someone came, the, the prison uh, head came and said, Hey Joe, we're going to see Pharaoh. And Joseph shaved and changed his clothes and went to see Pharaoh. And in 45-minute time span, when Joseph got the call, Joseph became prime minister of Egypt. I've had periods in my life where I've waited and waited and waited, and we're literally talking with, within a 24-hour time period. And I look back, unfortunately, and I think, you know, I could have waited a little better. I could have been a little more faithful with the time I had while waiting. Don't miss that while you wait. Be ready, because at any moment... God can't say, let's go. And the question you're going to be accountable for is, how'd you do with the time you were entrusted to while you wait? Waiting isn't a curse. Waiting is a blessing. Not necessarily waiting for fast food, but having times to wait is a blessing. You ever meet someone, now I don't know anyone in this church would ever say this, but there are some people who get bored. Oh man, wouldn't you love to have the opportunity to be bored? I could be so productive with bored time. There is nothing ever to be boring in our lives, but more importantly, there's never wasted time. Because God always has a perfect reason for making us wait. And we need to realize that, we need to depend on Him, and we need to be ready for when it comes over. Now remember this story? Rocky never came back for the hunters. So they waited for three days, and Rocky never showed up. And these guys didn't have a satellite phone by a bit of oversight. And they're sitting out there with a dead moose and grizzly bear and deer. Grizzly bear and deer. The deers are scary. Grizzly bear and wolves start showing up. And no one's coming and they're getting angry and they're getting angrier and angrier. And after, on the fourth day, a plane finally shows up. And the cardiologist comes walking up to the plane. He's flexing his hands and his veins in his neck are bulging. And he's furious. He wants to wring somebody's neck because they've been freaked out in the backwoods of Alaska for all this time. And the door opens, and it's not Rocky, he sent somebody else. Now, they've assumed Rocky's crashed in a plane, the plane's died, some horrible weather, something happened. They came up with all these ideas. So this guy shows up, and the cardiologist is like ready to strangle him. Where have you been? What? And the guy says, hold on a minute. Can I tell you what the date of these events were? The guys went hunting on September 10th, 2001. 
And when Rocky went back to the lodge on the evening of September 10th, he was planning on coming back the next morning. The next morning was September 11th, 2001. And for the first and only time in American history, all aviation had been stopped unless you were the President of the United States or an Air Force aircraft. Rocky could not fly. At the time, there were over 800 uh, people in the backwoods of Alaska on these hunting and, and hiking and fishing expeditions who had been left. Nobody could go get them. You see, they didn't know that September 11th had come. They had no way to know. They're in the backwoods of Alaska. Rocky had no way to communicate to them. But there was a very good reason why he didn't go. A friend of Rocky's had some hikers who were in a more difficult position, and they had no food or water, and he actually went up to drop off some stuff to them to let them survive. And as soon as he came up, an F-14 came across him. And the pilot looked at him, came up right along, and gave him a thumbs down and put his other hand on his trigger which is how they communicate, if you don't land, you'll be shot down. It was not a time when people could fly because they had a good reason to. Nobody flew. And when they communicated this truth to the cardiologist, he wasn't so angry anymore. He understood there was a reason he had to wait. In our lives, sometimes God doesn't respond when we want him to or how we want him to. God doesn't get grounded by the United States government. There's no September 11th that happens that God couldn't take care of us. But just like Rocky had a very good reason for not going to pick him up, God always has a very good reason for making us wait. In fact, God has a perfect reason for making us wait. Here's where we tie it up. Some of us are in waiting periods right now. Some of us will be in waiting periods at some point in the future. The waiting period is when the maturity really builds. If we never had to wait, we would never be mature. It's a gift God gives us. How we handle that period determines how well we walk with the Lord. There is no one you will find who has grown incredibly deep in their faith without having to wait. The question is this. Do you want to be deep in your faith? Do you want to walk intimately with God? Do you want to be a person like Abraham, Moses, Paul, or Joseph who we're looking at today? Or do you want to be the average run-of-the-mill, lukewarm minnow sitting on the beach just waiting to die? It's a decision we all have to make. When we make that decision, hopefully we don't want to be the minnow on the beach. We want to be the other guys. We don't force it. We can't do it. We lean heavily on God and depend on Him and trust in Him and read the true stories of history and see how people did it so that we too can do it. Today we're going to take communion. And one of the things we need to be focused on today as we take communion is that this is one of the ways we wait well. We take communion first and foremost because the Lord tells us to take communion. To, to remember what he did with his body as he broke it for us, had it broken for us, and poured out his blood to atone, to be a propitiation for our sins. But as we do this, we're also strengthened and nourished, we're told. One of the ways we wait well is by being fully obedient to God. And one of those acts of obedience is by taking communion as a church family. You'll look at that, and if you want to think in human perspective, you think, how's that little cup and how's that little piece of matzah going to help me wait better? Well, that's a human explanation. I can't tell you, humanly speaking. But I can tell you that as we walk in obedience to God, as we focus on who God is, what God has done for us, and how much He loves us, and we lean on His promises that He'll never leave us nor forsake us, that we can do all things through He who strengthens us. We'll be amazed by how awesome God really is. Joseph was amazed. Abraham, Moses, Paul, David, on and on have been amazed. As we take communion today, 
let's focus on, let's ask God to reveal to us how he wants to amaze us more and more so we can fall more and more in love with him. So Matt's going to um, start uh, a bit of music for us to just reflect um, as we listen to, and I invite you to come forward, and afterwards I'll close with a benediction.